Hey there, this is Lewis Johnson taking my love of sports into the world of esports. So I'm breaking down what's happening in the esports industry, talking with great guests, influencers, and tracking their personal and professional journeys to see how all of that has influenced where they are now. And in the end, I hope you're inspired. And so with that, welcome to All In With Esports. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Another edition of All In with Esports. Good to be back. Esportsfuturewide.com, the website, Twitter.com. Of course, you can find us there. And on Facebook, some of you have really been joining in and checking out all the content we've had. And it's been cool to show you some of these new things. We are we always have something cool happening at Map Esports Network across all these platforms. So hopefully you're checking those things out and enjoying. Well, so to this point, um, I've had a great mix of, of guests uh, from a variety of backgrounds. I love that. Uh, in the esports industry, outside the industry, you know, just excellent conversations with all of them. You know, I love to talk to people, love to connect, love that. And every now and then, I think it's uh, fun to kind of revisit some of those moments. Uh, and that's what we're going to do on this episode. Uh, I'm going to confess, I'm down and out right now with a little bit of a COVID issue. Um, asymptomatic, thank God for that. But um, I uh, have to do this this week, and I look forward to getting back to some live guests here, here soon. So I mentioned that uh, we are going to look back, and I say we because my producer, Erin, put this audio montage together. So big, big shout out to her for, for doing this. And, and as I look back over the list of guests and the line of questioning, you know there's that one question that always shows up in every interview, everyone. And that is, how did you, how did my guests land a career in and around the world of esports? You know, what's the connection? When and how did that happen? I always want to know that because I know that's what you want to know. And the stories that answer these questions are all different. And that's what I love about it. And as I always say, I hope that these stories inspire you as you continue on your personal and professional journeys. Everybody's road is different. Love what you're doing. Embrace it. The ups and the downs, it's your journey. Take it all in. Uh, and one of our uh, MAP Esports teammates is doing great work inside our biz. Austin Razor, he's a part of the Power Players League. He's really been rising and doing great work here. Uh, but before Austin got with us, uh, he was a serious gamer and still is, of course. And he was doing what I've been doing in TV. Uh, we call it broadcasting or commentating in my world. You guys know that. But in the esports world, the commentator is called a shoutcaster, you know, makes sense a shoutcaster or for short you know they call it a caster or casting so let's begin this uh listen back if you will over some of my episodes with part of my conversation with austin razor and his journey into casting here he is and you also have done some announcing too you mentioned that uh you were telling me about something called Landfest, which is something you were involved with and and you were doing some announce tell us about that and what you were doing uh so i volunteered um through uta there was an ad in the communications building that I saw. And um, I realized one of the contacts was actually someone that I had met before doing that collegiate tournament that UTA was a part of. So I called the number, I sent an email out. I said, Hey, you know, I don't know what positions y'all have available. I'd really like to do casting color commentary. Cause I really wanted to dip my feet in and see if I was even any good at that. And sure enough, she emailed me back probably a day later. And I was like, yes, thank you. We are looking for people who want to commentate because we don't have enough. Um, so she sent me the sign-up form. I filled it out. 
it was a week later I went and met everybody. Um, we had a big meeting where we talked about everyone's roles and it was all volunteer work. By the way, it was going to be an entire weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Landfest was basically just this really big charity stream that was set up at the eSports Stadium in Arlington. Probably had two, 300 different guests to walk through uh, throughout the whole weekend. And what it was is you just bring your computer, you bring your setup, your laptop, and we had table after table set up in the main auditorium. You just lay it all out and it was tournaments all weekend long. You could bring your friends, you bring your computer, it was like a $5 entry fee. Um, but everything, all the proceeds and everything was given to Extra Life for Kids, which was a charity um, organization, it still is. And yeah, they put me in front of a desk, they gave me a microphone and they said, hey, we got a tournament for this game going in 10 minutes. Uh, I hope you know Call of Duty because you're about to cast it. They put someone next to me and they said, all right, your cues in five minutes, be ready. Yo, let me tell you something, Austin. That's exactly how I got a huge break uh, in the television business. Something like that, you know, all of a sudden you're going to do it. Um, and so you had how much time to prep to, to get uh, to be ready to do this? Uh, by the time I got there and they sat me down, probably all of 20 minutes, but really only 10 <laughs> that I knew I was going to be casting. So did, did, you play, right. did you play Call of Duty at the time? Like, did you know what you were doing or just kind of waited? Or? I Kind of both. I grew up playing Call of Duty, so I knew the game. I yeah. knew the elements. Um, but it was a newer version of Call of Duty that I didn't quite know, like all the guns or maps or everything. So it was for the first couple of rounds I spent really just trying to figure out what was happening and how how can I compensate this the best other than just describing what's happening on the screen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'd say after 10 minutes of it, I got used to it and got adjusted. And then it started being a lot smoother after that. Cool. Uh, that that's the way you cut your teeth, baby. Is this all of a sudden you got a shot, you know, being, being around and being there that all of a sudden something happens. Um, I, I was, I was in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia doing a, the Goodwill games way back in the day, Ted Turner, who started CNN, uh, had this thing called the Goodwill games to bring the Russian athletes and American athletes together. And, uh, we were over there and I was a stage manager and, um, I missed a bus to go to a museum, the Hermitage, and I went over to the other boat. We were staying on these boats in the water and I went to this production meeting and uh, they were talking about the races for that night. And they started to discuss this uh, men's 10K race walk and nobody wanted to call it. I'm sorry to all my track fans out there if you're listening because <laughs> the, the race walk is, it's just not exciting, you know? And I mean, I'm going to get killed for saying that. But um, <laughs> so they they turned around and one of the guys in the meeting who was, who was an announcer knew me and he said, you know, I know Lewis wants to be a, a TV announcer one day and this other guy wants to do something. And, and within 15 minutes, the guy made a call. Next thing you know, they said, tomorrow you guys are calling the race walk. So uh, that night at dinner, they gave me the sheet of the paper with all the names. And it was a bunch of Russian names and, and some other names. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. I can't even say half these names, you know. So, but it was like you, I had, I had, I had like 24 hours to get myself ready. And the guy took us on the air and he took the headsets off and he gave it to me and he looked at me like, yeah, good luck with this. And fortunately, <laughs> oh, no. the race. Yeah, exactly. That's where I felt, you know, I was like, don't look at him. Look at the, look at this because he doesn't believe in you. Um, but fortunately the race went pretty good. It was, it was a great last lap. And that last lap went back to CNN. They used to have this thing called the play of the day, which was like some big play around uh, in sports. And so I spent the whole night getting that piece of tape transferred from PAL to NTSC. And then that little piece of tape brought it back and that led to something else and led to something else. So you never know how the opportunities are going to come, man. And that's, that's the way you do it. You get in the seat and you do it. So give everybody a sense of the conversations when your dad was coming in and wearing you out about how much time you were spending on it. 
And then you told him something that caused him to do some research and yeah. that completely changed the dynamics in your house. Just walk us through that whole thing. So I, I was definitely putting quite a few hours into it. He yeah. did not like that one bit. How many is it quite a few hours? At, Four or five hours a day? Yeah, they're about okay. five, eight to five, ten. five, six. Oh, okay, eight to ten. Eight to ten. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, a lot. Yeah, we'll put we'll put the eight to ten on weekends. Okay, yeah, all right. That's, that's when yeah, that happens. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a lot of time in front of a screen, man. That's, that's true. Right. It, right. That's okay. true. That's true. All in moderation. You don't want to hammer in too many. And it, it was during COVID too. Okay. All yeah. Right. So, right. so, so they did have more time being quarantined right. or at home. But still, know. he's in front of a computer playing a game, and you're like, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. So what happened? So. He, he was really getting onto that. And I was like, Dad, if you look at the numbers and you look at how much these streamers, how much these pros are bringing in and how much the industry as a whole is bringing in, it's a lot. There's a lot of money into it. Whether or not you're making the mice and the keyboards or you're making content, whether that be on YouTube or Twitch, mm-hmm. if you're just playing the game competitively, it's there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot that could come out of it too. All right. So you heard that and what happened? So I, yeah, I had to do my research because. And did he know you were doing that, or you just kind of went off? And, what did he talk? I kind of no, I went off and, and I, I wanted to investigate for myself. He's a yeah. smart kid and and he's been a joy, but I wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to follow in Dad's footsteps because I I think I told him the story. Back in when I was a teenager, I would tell my mom and dad I'm going for a bike ride. And I would ride my bike all the way up to the arcade and mm. drop in about two bucks worth of quarters to play Centipede and stuff like that. That was my game. Centipede, Centipede. was my game. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, and I knew, I, I even remember how much, not necessarily that it was addicting, but mm. it was, it, it drew you. It was video games. It was fun. It was just something to get away and enjoy. Right. That I didn't want him to start really neglecting the studies, his passion of shooting. And Mm -hmm. and really, I I didn't want him to be a house divided, jack of all trades, master of none. So I I thought I better equip myself so I can educate my son on the perils of video gaming. And of course, as soon as I started diving in, I was floored at the way esports has moved from what I experienced in the 80s growing up to what it is now. Yes, and it's and it's just humongous. I, I couldn't believe it. As I researched, I, I saw a video Mark Cuban put together that he would never invest in esports. Yeah, Mark Cuban's has invested in esports and teams. Right. I I just I went back and just really looked at the industry apart from just the guys who make the games, Activision yeah. and Riot and all that. I I went and dove into what is the the gaming scene, the pro scene looking like. What about all the peripherals? Everything that goes into it as far as the tech, yeah. the events have been just astronomical as far as the amount of events are out there and the money that's behind it. And yeah. now you got brands coming in that want to be a part of this. Yeah. Endemic and non-endemic brands, right? I'll give you a great example. McDonald's in Turkey created what's called a gamer deal, which the gamer deal was, was marketed to gamers that needed a late night snack and they would have what was called a gamer deal and wow. it took off and in turkey okay. believe it or not and we places, don't have something like that here in the u.s yet no yet the u.s and I'm, I'm out there looking for there, there you go that's yeah. right there's more stories on that but go ahead so i i really wanted to to find out a little bit more about the opportunities maybe even into college mm-hmm. could he get a scholarship could he 
go into the industry himself and get a major in focus with focus of esports. There is a gentleman in Grapevine, Texas, that I saw was advertising for some what was called influencers, <laughs> which I had no idea what an influencer was at that time. Right. And I called him, and his name is Jacob Miles, and he is with Map Esports. And I started asking him, could I ask you about your company and, and opportunities for my son who might look into this? I'm trying to, to definitively argue with him against right. the perils of esports and gaming. Yeah. And next thing you know, I'm working for Jacob Miles. So <laughs> I, I am now involved in Map Esports. I, I just, it, it's the, it's what I used to dream of doing. And that's being involved in video games, but never thinking there was anything for it. Right. But now I can take my business yeah. acumen and, and experience. And yeah, I can thank my son for getting me involved in yeah. the, right, in the right. industry yeah. because it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's we're just scratching the surface. It's amazing. Also there. We've sure. talked to colleges. We've talked to businesses. There are so many opportunities for these kids. Yeah. Yeah to get in and and really have a career with something they really yeah. enjoy. And there's I'm probably passionate. a ton of different things you can do with it that some people haven't even thought of. Right. Like the thing, that thing in Turkey that you just mentioned, who would have thought of that? I, I'd never heard that. That, 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 that a, awesome. a chain like McDonald's yep. would, would market to a specific group like that. Yep. And there's just so many things that you can do with it. No question. And to be clear, Jacob Miles is the founder and CEO of Map Esports Network, which is Part of what oversees all of this on the Map Esports uh, Podcast Network, which is where we are here. Uh, you have my show and some other shows as well. We also have digital magazines as well as the, the Power Players League. And you'll see all that if you just surf around here on the site that you're on right now. And more original programming, which I'm helping with. And then there's just so much infrastructure being built. So, I mean, yeah. for all of the people who are, who are listening, if they can't tell, Kyle, Justin can talk. He can speak. He's got the gift <laughs> of gab. And you had a pretty amazing uh, thing happen to you. You called it by sheer luck that uh, you got involved with commentating the game. Yeah. So, first of all, you're a player. You love the game. And then you had a friend you knew and somebody moved. And it's just take us through that, how you actually went from playing the game to understanding there were actually commentators in the games yeah. to somehow having a tryout and becoming one. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's wild. I mean, like a lot of people, whenever it came to the competitive side first, it was, okay, can I beat my cousins? Can I beat the kids in the neighborhood? Can I beat pretty much anybody that I come across, right? You kind yeah. of get to that point. And then beyond that, there's a hunger to learn like what else is out there. And Upon doing so is kind of how I stumbled upon what was at the time considered the Super Bowl of Smash Brothers, right? And it was the best players in the world all in one venue competing at a top level. Absolutely astounding and, and beautiful to watch. But what was the thing that really blew me away was this was the first time I heard Smash with a play-by-play and color commentator. Mm. I never even imagined that that was a thing that could happen. And so as I started getting more competitive and more deeply involved within the scene, I was trying to figure out opportunities where maybe I myself could step onto the mic. I never thought I'd have a chance. I just knew that I had a passion for, for gaming and I just wanted to share it with as many people as I possibly could. And commentary seemed like a, a neat option. Yeah. And it worked out so favorably that the largest smash broadcasting company in the South had relocated to a new venue that was about five minutes from where I was living at the time. And I had an in with a guy named Sean Horn. 
who was a commentator as well as one of the heads of this broadcast company. And so we got connected, we started talking and I, we, we talked a bit about commentary and competing and all that. And at the end of that conversation over Facebook, he said, Hey man, you seem like a cool dude. Why don't you swing by the studio sometime? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll hear what you have to say. And who knows, maybe if you're lucky, I'll put you on for a game or two. So I had showed up with this friend that I had made just a couple weeks earlier. We went to the venue. I thought that I would, maybe if I was lucky, get one game and, and that's it. They'd, they'd pull me off the stage and be like, we've heard enough of this. We, we, we can't deal with anymore, but they actually really liked me. And so the first time I ever casted was three hours straight. I ended up closing out the night for them. Wow. Um, and from there, it just was nonstop. I, I started off just as uh, doing it for free. Eventually got uh, hired by them to be their go-to commentator along with that friend of mine. From there, it was my first local into my first regional, into my first national tournament, into my first international event. And beyond that, I ended up going away from just Smash to actually covering a dozen different titles for a multitude of companies, including Activision, Blizzard, and the Pokemon company. So yeah, yeah. it's 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 been a wild journey for sure. Maybe not quite as as well-traveled as, as Lewis whenever it comes to being on the mic. I don't have that many frequent my, my, uh, flyer miles on my commentary card, but, you know, <laughs> well, listen, still, still pretty happy. There's a good chance you might at some point when, <laughs> when COVID lightens up because... These tournaments that we'll be having, Kyle will be helping to put together uh, with our, our group, the Power Players mm-hmm. League. Of course, things happening in Arlington at that big facility and in who knows where else. It is That is just an awesome dream. And I think it is really cool. I hope that some of the younger players who think about esports as a potential livelihood can hear your story and think, look, if it could happen to Justin, maybe by some strange or freak way it might, I might get a shot at it. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Kyle, don't you think so? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Like, I think part of the thing is you just showed up and you just got that opportunity and you got that shot and good things happen. And it seems like you've been riding that ever since. So, no, I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, there's there's a lot of power, I think, in this space to just showing up and even more power if you're able to just ask, what can I do to help? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I amen, think yeah, that's amen to that. powerful. powerful I, I agree with the game is fun, but how do we get people thinking about careers in this space? Yeah. And then that's when I started thinking about my PhD is in what? Curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I can write curriculum for the schools once I learn about the nuances that they're looking for. Right. And so we fast forward to now mm-hmm. where you're at uh, Florida Memorial University, which is down in Miami. Mm-hmm. And you sent me a document, which is so very interesting. Dr. Mark's eSports Masterclass. Yes. What is that? The master class came about because I realized that education is slow, okay? It's not like corporate America where people move really fast and cut a check really fast. Academics is, look, if you want to create a major or do anything, you're going to have to, you know, go through a process. And so a lot of people that want these quick buck artists that want to go and say, let's let's create something at a university, they're not going to cut a check to you. They, they want to know how are you going to uh, create a curriculum? How are you going about uh, educating their students and how are their students going to get jobs? And uh, how do you create, how do you increase enrollment, especially now during COVID? What, how do we differentiate ourselves? Yeah. So I created this thing called the symposium and masterclass. I would go into a university for two days and they would hire my company to come in and bring a symposium, bring in some of the senior executives from esports to talk about 
about the industry so that people can understand it, whether it's from the, the students to the faculty to alumni to the community. The second thing was the master class. The master class was going to be six hours, and this all started when I was at the University of Florida. They asked me to come and be a visiting professor, and they said, the last day you're there, can you do like a six-hour course? And I'm thinking, what the heck am I going to talk about for, <laughs> for six, six hours? hours yeah. Yeah, other than you know, music, hip-hop, what am I going to talk about? And I, I thought about it, and I said, wait a minute, I can bring my friends from industry, and if it's going to be for maybe 20 to 30 students, we can customize it so they can learn about whatever that brand is, and then with after the first four hours of them learning about it, we can then say, here's an assignment, go create something, just like the movie, just like the TV show Shark Tank, yep. and they would go into their private rooms, and they would have four or five groups of students, and they would present it to us in 10 minutes, and a winning team would get an internship. And I wound up awarding 91 internships over the last three years of my career. Wow. And now at Florida Memorial University, they hired me to create the STEM, STEAM program. So we got to shout out to Dr. Cooper, the provost, and, and President Hardrick for bringing me there. But the point is this. I said, instead of doing a course right now, let me take the master class approach and do it every month, twice a month. Mm-hmm. And we create this master class, and it creates the impetus for the students to think about the fall and beyond. What kind of classes could we take? So we'll do one on AR, VR. We'll do one on STEM. We'll do one on a whole lot on a different technology. We'll do one on, on how, to, how to create a game. We'll do one on what is EA Sports. We'll do one on the, the, the NBA 2K. Yeah. And the point is that every month they'll get a chance to learn something. In, Mar- in the month of March, they'll learn about women in, in video games and yeah. women in esports. So they're going to get a whole lot of different things thrown at them. At the same time, we're going to wind up awarding over 35 internships. Mm. Okay? So it's another way, innovative way to educating students yeah. without having them spend a whole semester doing it. So you can, anyone could sign up for the course. They already pay, it's already paid for it since you already paid tuition. And you're, you're meeting what on the first and last Saturday of every month of every month in the, in the spring semester on a Saturday for six hours. Yeah. And they, they ha- it's, 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 it's interesting because it's almost like you're doing a show. So I have a run a show. You have lunch. You have snacks there. No one wants to leave anyway. But the cool thing is that they get a chance to be educated in a different way, but also they get a chance to test their, their presentation skills, their how they, how they interact with people in terms of group dynamics, their writing skills, and, and how they think quick on their feet because they're going to need that. Yeah. And one of the things that, to my advantage, is that I have relationships with a lot of the publishers and the gaming companies, so I ask them, what is it that you're looking for in students? And the more I know, the more I can incorporate it in, in the master class. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're also telling the students what they need and want. Right. And my brother. So I attribute a lot of my career to my oldest brother, who's about five years older than me. And he actually was living in the Philippines at the time. He moved to the Philippines to go to school and went to medical school. And then he came back to visit. He saw me watching Dragon Ball one day, the Japanese version. He's like, what are you watching? I was like, oh, it's this thing. And I, you know, I really like this and that. And he's like, cool. That's really cool. You should like stick with that. Like real offhand comment. That's like it. Hmm. <laughs> but somehow that stayed with me and i was like okay well you know you know you always look at your older brother's approval and things like that and so like it became like a a thing it was just like sat in the back of my brain and when i graduated from college i was looking for marketing jobs i did a bunch of you know brand ambassador work and marketing gigs and stuff and actually was working at a agency their biggest client was rj reynolds which is a cigarette company and i took a job because it's a job and i needed a job I was market manager and I managed the team that went out to the bars at night to like try to get you, give you free cigarettes and stuff. I don't, I don't, I'm not a smoker, but in marketing, you learn, you can sell anything, no matter what, who you are, right? You learn the product and you learn how to do it. And that's very valuable. Lawsuit happened, 
standard tobacco lawsuit happened and they cut the program. Our whole department got, you know, wiped or whatever, and we got laid off. And so literally I'm on Craigslist of all places looking for gigs. And I see an opening for a posting for an assistant brand manager at Funimation. I'm like, huh, wait, Funimation? Like, I know that name. I've been watching Dragon Ball for a long time. And there's a lot of other shows they have now. But at the time, it was like Dragon Ball, Fullman Alchemist, Afro Samurai, Blue Gender. I could like list. I, I had to research a lot of these. But a handful of shows, right? I'm like, sure, I'll apply for that. I mean, I, I'm qualified for this position. I've done a lot of marketing experience and management. And so I applied. Fun fact. I did not put any anime references or allusion to my knowledge of anime on my resume. That's something I point out because as I've worked there for a long time, you see that a lot. And there is a fine balance between being an anime fan and being in a professional working at an anime company. And I, I think I personally feel like that was in my benefit at the time because I caught them off guard. I got called in for an interview based on my experience and, and, education and in the interviews where i you know was able to shine with with my knowledge of anime and funimation and dragon ball specifically and so you know standard job application regular interview and then got hired and then i worked there for about 10 years and did a whole bunch of other crazy stuff and then i hired a bunch of other people and nobody has the same story all the people that i hired have like way more interesting stories than mine I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I'm going to challenge that. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't expecting Craigslist. That's uh, that's hilarious. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm wondering. I'm wondering too. Would you advise someone today who's trying to get into the uh, gaming industry not to put their experience or their passion for gaming in the resume? Now, I mean, that that was that's interesting. I think the way you do it is important. Always show that you understand the media and the industry, but don't make it so apparent that you're a huge fan because I've worked with enough fans that being that ingrained in the fandom and, and having like being a fan first at a company makes it very difficult to work mm. in the business side. I mean, there's very specific positions where that's better for the job, but when you're on a business end of the team, it's very difficult if you can't separate your fandom from your professional decision making. Right. So. That makes sense because if you're over the top with uh, just fandom pouring out of your oozing out of your skin, you you you, you maybe lose sight that this is a business. You have a specific job to do, mm-hmm. and at some point you've got to execute that job. That that's yeah. a great point. So now I'm wondering, uh, as I follow up on Kyle's question about getting into Funimation, then how did you make the transition into esports, and then how has all that led you to Team Envy? We want to hear more about what's happening with that. Yeah, here. sure. So. Working at Funimation, it was a challenge. It was a great stepping stone in my career. I worked there for just about 10 years, doing a lot of different things, uh, primarily marketing-based initiatives. I started social media there. I worked on the events team a lot, doing conventions, hosting panels, red carpet premieres, like planning, organizing, hosting those, doing a lot of on-camera work, interviews with actors, creators, a lot of that stuff. And so... As I progressed, I kind of got to a point in my anime career where I peaked a little bit. Sony acquired Funimation shortly before I left my job there. And one of the things I loved about Funimation going into it was when I got hired in 2008 or something like that, it was still a pretty 
not, I want to say small, medium-sized company. It's still a lot of grassroots. It was a mom and pop originally, family-owned, and you know they went through an acquisition, they went through going public and all that stuff. And but the team I worked on and the stuff I did was very grassroots at the time. Like I said, I created social media department there, like it didn't exist. And so a lot of it was spent figuring out what works, working with the community, like understanding and building this department of nothing because literally Facebook and Twitter like wasn't a business platform at the time and having to develop that literally me on like a flip cam trying to figure out how to use social media and then growing that like that was really interesting piece of my career. And where I ended up at Funimation, I was, you know, uh, working a lot of business development. I had the social team reporting to me and stuff. And I was, I was way more in the, the, is a lot more political of a position at that point in time. Uh, you talk a lot about doing things, not actually doing a lot personally. And, you know, being acquired by a, a, a huge company like Sony, that of course adds to layers of that. And it's really beneficial for Funimation because that means it's taking them to the next level. I just don't know if that was where I wanted to be in that position. And so I look for other opportunities. And actually, the the Team Envy story is a little more interesting. So I went to a lot of conventions. I went to about maybe like 12 to 15 a year. So over, over once a month, I'd be at an anime convention, a video game convention, a pop culture con, San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con. BlizzCon was one that I started going to. A lot of it was for business development and social content. I happened to be playing a lot of Overwatch when it came out, when it first came out. It has a lot of anime-esque things about it, right? And so if you look at the demographic for a game like Overwatch, the Venn diagram of Overwatch and anime fans is, is very overlapping. And so I was like, cool, let me research this. Let me see why anime fans resonate with this. What's this community about? And so I would go to BlizzCon, which is Blizzard's. Blizzard's the publisher and and creator of Overwatch. And so I wanted to go to these conventions to see what their fandom was like. And so I did. And while I was there, I had a buddy who actually, I helped get a job at Funimation back in the day. He was a brand manager for Dragon Ball for a while. Then he got a job over at HP Omen, which was the big league sponsor for Overwatch League. And it was the first year of Overwatch League becoming a thing. It was the inaugural year about to start. It was This was like November. The league was going to start in January. So I'm with my buddy and he's having his meetings. And he's like, hey, I'm about to meet with the Dallas team. Like, you should come meet them. Maybe we can like do something together. Like, yeah, that's cool. I love Overwatch. You know, maybe we can do a cross promo because our audiences are so similar. So I go to this meeting with them. They're talking with the owners. It's Mike Rufail, who is the owner of, of Envy. Matt Tasmo, who is the general manager of the Overwatch team. John Brock, who's like one of the investors. And we're ch- chatting it up. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to you know, do some stuff with you guys. Overwatch is a really awesome game. And I'm, I'm born and raised in Dallas. So I'd love to support the local team. Maybe you know, through our connections with Funimation and our big audience there, we can like help you grow your audience, blah, blah, blah. Mike, who's the owner, basically was like, hey, how about like you come do this for us? We're, we're, we're moving into Dallas and we need somebody doing that stuff. <laughs> he, he was talking to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That is cool. I'm wondering when you began to play and, and really get involved with the industry, when did it become clear to you that you wanted to announce or you wanted to be a caster in the business and how did all that develop? Yeah, the abbreviated version is I used to travel the country and play the card game Magic the Gathering relatively competitively with a group of, with 
big group of folks. We would be traveling six, eight hours to different venues and we'd have car rides. And in those mm-hmm. car rides, me and one of my other buddies would just be talking smack. We'd be talking about what's going on, cards and stuff. And people were like, you should just record this. Oh, oh okay. Sure. <laughs> Long story short, we started a podcast back then. This was probably 20 11 or 12 years and years ago from there right around that time was when twitch was had already started but it was just starting to get a little bit more public i had started a a twitch stream where i'd play magic online and by today's standards i wasn't anything but back then if you got 100 viewers that was like the world and i was regularly pulling in 50 75 and a couple times i had three 400 viewers in which was huge and i was going to college i didn't know what to do with it It, the monetization and whatnot wasn't the same so i didn't really do anything with it but from that point from because of that stream and because of the podcast a local card store well kind of local actually in erie pennsylvania reached out to me and was like hey we're having this in-person event do you want to do you want to cast it and uh, Okay, sure. I, I talk on camera about cards all day. I know the game like the back of my hand. I'm, I I know that very well, so I'm not worried about that. Let me let's just talk about it. And and I had done radio in college as well a little bit, so like the public speaking and talking on a mic was was not a, was not phasing to me. So I, I did that back in 20, 2012, 2011, 2012, and I just it 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 stuck a little bit. That's cool. That's cool. So you were a DJ in college as well. That that must have been fun. I, John, I got to tell you, I remember my days back at the University of Cincinnati. There was a small radio station on campus, and it was uh, WFIB, I think was the name of the station. And I was doing this little DJ thing. So we had yeah. these carts. We had carts for music. Sure. And I'd go down in the basement of that to that building of that hall and had a little studio and mm-hmm. you had a little playlist, put those carts in and play that music and you introduce it. And there were probably 30 carts. We didn't have much inventory, my man. Mm-hmm. And the signal was so weak that she couldn't get that darn station across the yard at the <laughs> oh, studio. No. It was like a 200 <laughs> yards away. So <laughs> I, maybe the good thing is, is that there weren't many people who could hear all the mistakes I was making. Right. But, you know, hey, I was a DJ and it felt pretty cool to do that. And, and oh, hopefully yeah. your signal strength was much long, was much better than mine was. Yeah. So I, this was actually at uh, the community college. I went to Genesee Community College, WGCC, the music FM. I still got there you it. Go. So there you go. There you go. Keep it locked. They actually at the time had the highest power FM broadcaster of any state college in New York. What? Of any. Yeah. So like more than GCC or more than uh, UB, more than any of the any of the state uh, colleges, which is crazy. Yeah. Just randomly little place in Batavia, New York. (laughs) And you were pumping it out. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really neat to get those experiences, man. And okay. I got I got to ask you. I remember the first time when we met in preparation for this uh, call. I was like, you know, this guy's got a voice. W- when did you discover your voice? Literally, <laughs> that's a great question. I don't really know. I just always, when I was little, I would do like impressions of things, like movies and different characters and whatnot, and I just like doing that. And when you're a little kid, everything sounds the same and your your parents probably laughed because it was funny that you did something that made sense, but it wasn't like a good impression. Yeah. I, I do remember a specific time when, again, going back to the me wanting to win for the sake of winning, there's a kid that was a, a year older than me on the basketball team that would do a, it was the, the Harry, it was the Will Ferrell doing an impression of Harry Carey from SNL. <laughs> okay. uh, I don't know if you've seen that one. That's like, like a classic Will Ferrell. Oh, and everyone Harry was... Carey. Yeah. <laughs> ah, 
Hey, yeah. and, and <laughs> he did that. And everyone on the team and the parents were laughing and I'm like, I can do it better than that. So I literally just upstaged him instantly. <laughs> and people were like crying. Yeah. It was uh, kind of a, a, a D bag move on my point, but, but <laughs> If you're looking for it, it was at that point where I'm like, oh, hey, I kind of can do this and impressions and stuff like that kind of stuck with me. And then from there, like the the radio announcer voice just comes in. Kind of came in, man. You got it. You got it. That's awesome. All right. A big thanks to John Blevins. Love that conversation with him and, and really all of these, all of my guests so far. It's been so much fun. And, and looking forward to many, many more great conversations. And you can be sure that on this show, I'm going to tap into the sports world, uh, some of the people that I've been so fortunate to be around for the last 25 years. And I'm going to bring them in so that you can hear about the journey and the esports connection within the journey. All right. And I'll do it right here on All In with Esports. Uh, as always, uh, continue to check us out on esportsfutureide.com forward slash uh, twitter.com. You guys have been chiming in there and on Facebook. I want to uh, as well say thank you so much to Aaron for putting this uh, special episode together. CN and AJ, thank you so much. AJ rocking that music. I really appreciate it. And all of them with Innovation Media Enterprises uh, handling all of our podcasting uh, efforts here across the network. Don't forget to listen to our other shows, of course, uh, The Future of Marketing and Esports. That's Rebecca Langawa. She is just so sharp. John Davison and the DLC Mic Drop podcast. You'll learn a lot there. And then our latest edition, the Esports Ezine podcast, hosted by our one and only Esports Future Eye Editor-in-Chief, Chantel Boucher. Uh, we've got a new show coming up here pretty soon uh, to kind of recap what's happening each month and then kind of tease you on what's coming up. So make sure you look for that. We'll have more announcements about that soon, myself and Chantel. And of course, much more original programming to come across our entire network. We're just having fun, y'all. So once again, thanks for being with me today. Hope you've been inspired as always. And a very important, uh, by the way here, keep your mask on and keep it tight. I always have, and I'm saying this for a reason. Because even with all that, I still tested positive for COVID. Thank goodness I'm asymptomatic, but I've got to ride out this quarantine and uh, hopefully uh, get out of this uh, with, with only that. So my thoughts are with everybody who's managing it. Thankfully, I'm doing well. And I appreciate all the shout outs across social media. It really has meant a lot, lot to me as I sit here and recover. Um, so until uh, we talk again soon, um, hope everybody stays well. Uh, keep rolling with us here at Mappy Sports Network across everything. And let's talk again soon right here on All In With Esports. Take care, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All In With Esports. Now, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcast channel. And we would love to hear from you about this or any other shows on the Esports Future Eye Network.